Welcome to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Bree Pettis, CEO of Bree & Company. This is Technotopia. This episode of Technotopia is brought to you by Walk2. Walk2 is a new app that gives you deals when you walk to local businesses. Walk2 wants to get you off the couch and walking, so it invites you to walk to a new yoga class, walk to a great sandwich, or walk to happy hour. You can download it at walk2.co. That's W-A-L-K-T-O dot C-O. Walk2. Let's go. Welcome back to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. Today on the podcast, we have someone who literally lives in the future. He's Bree Pettis. Uh, Bree is the founder of MakerBot, and now he's running Bree & Co. out in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Uh, Bree, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, John. So you, I've, I've known you for a few years now, and you're always ahead of the curve. So what's going to happen this is going out uh, today on, this is Friday. So what's going to happen as um, Donald Trump enters office? We are in a weird time. <laughs> you know, usually when I talk about the future, I talk about sort of how to get sort of like a glimpse into the future that already exists in the now. And I talk about sort of like cruising the back alleys of CES, or I talk about trying to figure out what nerds are uh, and geeks are like doing for fun because pretty soon that will end up being what we all do as well. But we're in a time politically where all rule, all bets are off, all the rules don't apply anymore, conventions don't exist, and um, and so the 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 scary part about that for everybody who's used to the status quo is like everything everything politically is going to change. Mm -hmm. But the exciting part is like there's going to be huge opportunities to slide cool stuff into the mix, I guess. I hope. So do you really see, so I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of, in terms of sea change. And this is, this I guess can be our political episode because most of the time we talk about, I don't know, uh, smart vests and stuff. Um, do you really see that much of a change? Has the culture that we're existing in, has it, gotten more crass has it gotten confused what are the changes that are specifically happening and, and what are the changes that caused all this and you actually talked to you actually talked to folks in Youngstown right so you actually did some some work over in Youngstown and you kind of understand what a ex-steel worker is thinking uh to a degree yeah I mean that's you just opened up like 12 exactly 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 so um I think that you know Right at this moment, the things that are are kind of that are interesting are like I have all these friends who are going down to go protest, and I'm like, okay, if I were going, if I were playing, if I were playing the game, I would be war driving. I would be looking for people who have vulnerabilities in their phones. I would be seeing what I could do to just cause havoc in that way by you know all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, okay, if you're going to these protests, like protect, like turn off your phone. Mm -hmm. the safest thing to do. And if you're going to go to these protests, you might like there may end up being like lots of people getting arrested. Turn off your phone and then turn off that fingerprinty thing. Mm -hmm. You log in with your fingerprints because they can make you put your fingerprint on something. They can't make you put a code in, which is sort of the weird legal language of all this kind of stuff. And I think actually somebody just came out with I saw this, but I haven't read it. So, sort of like 
guide to how to survive the modern totalitarian like, state. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, on the other hand, like, I think that our system is so screwed up that a good shakeup is not necessarily a bad, well, I'm sure there will be bad parts of it, but mm -hmm. there will be opportunities where things get shake, shook enough and there's opportunities for people who want to get stuff done. It's, it's a time probably though, to think about get causes rather than people. Cause if you focus on people, you're just going to stab yourself in the face over and over again. Mm -hmm. And people are just so, we're just such flawed creatures that it's, we'll just be infinitely disappointing in the political realm. But okay. if you focus on a cause, whether it's like prison reform or currency reform or whatever, you, it starts getting more interesting, I think. Hmm. Okay. So the, so instead of, instead of focusing on, instead of saying we've just made 500 jobs for guys in Flint, Michigan, you basically say, let's change the way manufacturing works so that somebody with a not that much education can actually work in a factory as opposed to the way it is now where you actually have to know something about, uh, engineering to actually build, use one of these machines. Well, it's interesting with manufacturing. So there's a few things that level the playing field in the world right now with manufacturing. And it's basically, I mean, actually, there's one thing. It's basically robots and automation. Mm -hmm. If I have a machine that I can make poop out something that people want to buy, then the cost to make these things is the cost of the material and the electricity and whatever you know other costs I've amortized around it, rent and you know original purchase of the machine. But that's something that those are all costs that people are going to have everywhere. So if you have to, if you want to think about manufacturing in the future sense, you have to think about, okay, how do we deal with this in such a way that we can be in America? How can we deal with this in such a way that we can be competitive with people who make like $2 an hour, which is illegal in the U S but mm -hmm. the, you know, that's the wage of people assembling things in lots of places in the world of, who assemble the stuff that we use all the time. Okay, so we basically have to maintain competitive. So, one of the things that I was thinking about is that the next future for, I guess, manufacturing work is actually off-world. Essentially, where are the roughnecks? Where are the guys who are, where are the next longshoremen? And they're not they're not here in in Brooklyn. They're in they're on Mars. Essentially, is that even feasible? Can you have you talked to anybody about that? I mean, I think, I mean. There's the folks who are doing made in, the made in space folks who did the 3D printer on the space station. There's sort of, you can imagine that there's all sorts of um, folks thinking about, okay, we get to Mars, now what? And how do we make stuff with the resources available so we don't have to ship everything? Um, and then I think there's sort of the, you know, how do we, you know, one of the things that is that, you know, we like that because it's a, it's a pretty compelling fantasy, but if you start looking at like stuff that we should be making now that we don't make now, it's mostly stuff that like we need to survive as a species, but we're so like focused on, you know, making iPhones or phones in general that we're not thinking like, okay, what are the implications? What are the, how do we make it so, you know, in 500 years, we don't live in a, in a poisoned misery planet where we all wear, you know, I think it's likely within our lifetimes, we're all going to be wearing some sort of gas masks as like, the way we survive. So like, what would, if we could think like that, then what should we be doing now to make, you know, our quality of life on the planet better as a collective? Mm -hmm. The problem is like, we really suck at like,
thinking like a collective. We're really good at thinking like about individual survival, family survival, and even like tribal survival. But we pretty much suck as a species of thinking in like numbers, you know, bigger than 500. Okay. So what, what should the makers of today be building? You know, I think the, um, the things that I think about building, I mean, your options are pretty limited if you want to, if you want to make a living at it. Um, if you have the ability to stretch, then you want to start thinking about the things that are going to be needed in X amount of time and trying to build back from there. So you're thinking like, okay, let's build like, let's build a gas mask that looks cool. I mean, like, if, <laughs> will maybe, I, will, the will I am gas mask? Yeah. Um, well, or something that, or like an air filter kind of thing. Like I'm sort of astounded that, you know, as a culture, China has sort of decided to sort of sacrifice the air quality of probably three generations of, of humans to, you know, um, to the globalization of, and, you know, uh, to their future, you know, they're they're on a mm-hmm. two hundred year plan where they're they're saying, okay, we're going to invest three generations and they'll all die early and be miserable, but in two hundred years we'll be the dominant superpower in the world. Like, they're willing to make to think at that kind of a scale, and I think to make things as an individual, we have to think at a different. We have to start thinking about different scales of of uh, bigger scales of our species. Okay, but are they guaranteed? Are they guaranteed an outcome? I mean, are we guaranteed an outcome? Do we, we for to a degree, we sacrificed, let's say, between World War One and World War, maybe Korean War, we sacrificed the major cities. We sacrificed Pittsburgh. We sacrificed Cleveland. We sacrificed the industrial centers. We heck, we sacrificed the Gowanus Canal uh, to progress. And now we're kind of now that all that's come home to roost. If if your whole general uh, view on things is to sacrifice three entire generations to to mobilization. What happens after that to that fourth gener- 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 generation that wakes up one day and realizes that it's pretty crappy uh, to breathe in essentially particulate matter the whole time? So um, I was in Milan for the design conference, and it was too, I, I hadn't really spent any time in Italy, and the, there's a couple interesting things there. One is that it's like I think it's about 60 million people and 60 million people is a, is a number of people where you can literally have all your manufacturing centers. You, you, if you buy a light switch cover, you can buy one made in Italy Mm because there's the, the, it's a size enough where all the industries, there's enough, you know, space for all the industries in that population sector. But what's starting to happen now is now in the last 10 years, sort of like super cheap, uh, Asian made products are coming, uh, are, are an option. Mm-hmm. So you can buy, you know, an Italian made light switch cover for, you know, five euros, or you can buy one from China for a dollar. And so the sort of aesthetic of the way things are made is shifting in the culture. And what's interesting is when I was talking to people about this, they basically blame the government and they believe that the government has the ability to drive culture. And okay. part of that's because it really did. I, I think in the late '50s, early '60s, the Italian government committed to design. They they invested a ton of money in uh, education around design, and then you have all you. And the result was you had this very 
formative, powerful design force in the world in terms of Italian designs, all the way from fashion to to cars and and beyond. Mm -hmm. So now the people are sort of grumpy that like there aren't as much manufacturing jobs as there were in Italy, and that things there's all this uh, sort of like downward price pressure from Asia, and they're like, well, the government should just invest in something like design again and, and solve this. And what was interesting to me is I've never had a good experience partnering with um, with government, frankly. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to, uh, be, I always work out of service to humanity, if, but it's, I've never made that work with government. So the idea that folks in Italy feel like government can solve something is sort of a revelation to me that people can think about government that mm -hmm. way. And so when you say like, you know, we, you know, we made decisions and we, we destroyed industries, I'm not convinced that people actually made those conscious sacrifices about manufacturing. It, it's definitely, you know, gone. I mean, you, I heard a story of somebody in Detroit, like needing their garage cleaned out and they had the person who like designed Corvette <laughs> interiors who had like a 200k a year job until that industry fell through yeah. the floor, like want to come over and, you know, do $10 an hour work, mm -hmm. hour, $10 an hour work cleaning out their garage. Like that's, that's, de that's a decimated industry. There's probably, there's, we can go into all the reasons of that. And I, I, but I don't think it's a coordinated thing. I mean, at some point you're going to be, you're building a house and what's the government going to do? They're going to say, we're going to give you a special tax tax rebate if you buy American or Italian light switches? Well, I mean, that's the way it, you, if you have a coordinated government like China, you can, you can basically say, we're going to make Shenzhen. Mm -hmm. Here, all this farmland, if you build factories here, there's no taxes for X amount. In fact, we're going to, you can take out a loan that's like, or we'll build it for you. Or and here's, we'll, here's a free trade sector that you can move your stuff out of. Yep. So, you know, you can do things as a government like that to make stuff happen. And I think, you know, as a coordinated force, China definitely wins in terms of being a, of growth and development over the last, say, 30 or 40 years. Whereas I think the U.S., I'm not exactly sure what we've won at in the last 30 or 40 years in, from a sort of like a manufacturing coordinated government standpoint. Specifically in the last like decade, it's been a standstill. So, you know, the thing that I would love to see is some visionary ideas around like, what do we want as a culture? What are we deciding we want to have as a culture? Like from our tax dollars, we've optimized for defense over pretty much everything else. Mm -hmm. if we wanted to optimize for education. We would, I don't think anybody's terribly happy with our educational system, although we all value it. What could we do if we wanted to be a, you know, a world-class educational system that was getting the students actually ready for what's going to happen in 10 to 20 years. That would be an interesting like solution. I don't know. When I think about sort of architecting the future as sort of government and that at that sort of a level, I get pretty I don't feel like there's a lot of traction there. I think it's a lot easier to think about sort of positive things in the future from a, a tech point, mm -hmm. a tech point of view because it's just been so much easier to develop tech in the last decade than it was before because you can have an idea 
you can, you know, I, I, I saw you downloaded Django and you're learning to program again. <laughs> like the fact that you can do that in a day and kind of get up and running in some way is pretty powerful. Like you can't, I can't imagine that happening decades ago where that sure. sort of accessibility was around. So if you want to like make the future, I think in, in many ways it's, it's it, like working in tech is probably like the place where your energy, you have the less, you have minimal leakage between the effort you put out and the resulting and the result where I feel like if you want to go into politics, you're going to spend like 10 years building up favors, get in there and then be arguing and hope that like 10% of what you want to get done gets done. Yeah. And by that time, your Django skills are going to be put by the wayside and you're going to be a politician. So what does the world look like? Does the world look like Blade Runner at the end of in 20 years? Does it look like uh, Mad Max in 20 years? Does it look like, uh, does it look like us only, uh, cooler cars? I mean, I think you can look at different, you know, the, the Gibson quote, that's like the future's here. It's just not evenly distributed. Mm -hmm. So like I'm looking at Venezuela really closely. I've, since about May, I've been following Venezuela because I thought that in May of last year, I really thought, okay, this is just totally, you know, it hasn't worked. Chavez had this idea of privatizing everything or not private. Uh, I'm sorry, not privatizing, making everything government, taking all infrastructure away from private development. And they literally stopped being able to make anything and had to import everything. And mm -hmm. the only thing they made was oil. And they screwed up their currency and it just, it, they, the whole thing is just so totally effed up right now that um, I thought, okay, in May, I thought this is a great time to figure out what happens in like post free market, democratic capitalism, post dictatorship, communism, what happens next? Maybe there's a new model for government that can emerge. And if it's going to emerge anywhere, it would be Venezuela where they're just totally, truly fucked. So, um, in May, I was like optimistic and like thinking like, okay, there's something could happen here. Mm -hmm. And then it just kept getting worse. So it's like Mad Max territory there now. There's no medicine in hospitals. There's no food. The currency doesn't like literally doesn't function. They just made a bunch of the currency totally useless because it was, uh, cause you were having to carry around wheelbarrows of cash to buy anything like they've, and, and you know, the military has turned into the sort of like drug runners of, of South America, where if you're growing drugs in South America, you funnel them through Venezuela because the military basically functions as a port for drugs. So that's like, okay, you've got drug dealers as your military force. It just goes on and on. It's like, it, it, it's truly at Mad Max kind of levels in Venezuela. Mm -hmm. And I keep on thinking, okay, this is so bad. There's gotta be, a, this has got to like bounce off the bottom at some point, but it just keeps getting worse. So, um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like that. There is the possibility that this just keeps getting worse. And like, we become the worst version of ourselves as humans. And we're literally like using anti-tank weaponry to have like, you know, tribal gang warfare in our neighborhoods. Well, this is supposed to be an optimistic podcast, so let's <laughs> let's give it a little, what what is your hope for the future? Where are you going to be? Are you going to be in a are you going to be in a space pod? Are you going to be up upstate uh, with your with your anti tank missile uh, trained on the road? <laughs> you know, the thing that I think about when I think about positivity positivity is relationships and friendships. Mm -hmm. You know, over history, time and time again, you know, just I just revisited this with MLK, like 
there were a group of like, I don't know, I'm going to just guess it was somewhere between a dozen and a couple dozen, you know, black guys in the late fifties, early sixties who were like, screw this. We're going to, we're going to actually make some change here. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, and they had no, they, they were, you know, it, at that point, it wasn't a sure thing that there was going to be change. Uh, you know, many of them gave their lives for their cause. So it's kind of like, okay, that's not necessarily like from where they were in the late 50s and 60s facing racism in America, it didn't look good. But you look now and things look a little bit better, despite the fact that it's like there's still mass inequity mm -hmm. in our culture. So I think for us to have a positive future, we have to figure out the inequity piece. Um, and for us to have a positive future, I think we have to get better at making friends and being more understanding and being better learners, ideally being better co-learners, um, so that we can make progress and it sticks, so that we make progress and we, we all step forward instead of like taking, you know, it feels right now like there's the possibility of just stepping backwards until we run into a wall and then being able to take a step mm -hmm. forward. But I think if you think about positively about the future, you're thinking about like groups of friends who have visions around issues and are willing to have uh, take risks to make that future exist, whether it's a whether it's a, a, a future with less hate in it and more love or it's a future with, you know, most we, people dying in cars yeah, or whatever. Yeah, survive. Yeah. Interesting. So that's actually pretty beautiful. So that's that's a that's a nice uh, that's a nice close for that because that's kind of scary. We're well, gonna we're gonna check in on uh, Venezuela over the next couple of months. Hopefully, hopefully there's gonna be twelve of you hanging out there fixing stuff. I I'm <laughs> I, it's one of those times where I was like super optimistic and then it just kept getting worse. Oof. So, and then I'm, and it's not like, it's interesting, you know, there's like 30 million people there. So it's, it's not enough of a, it's not a big enough of a culture where it gets the front page every day. I mean, the, I think there's lots of also probably the other place, which is super interesting where there's opportunities for positive stuff is around information deployment and news, what we call news. I think that you know people are talking about fake news. We've seen what happens with entertainment news. I think there's really a, something special to be done, and actually like how we share information. Okay, we're yeah. already trying to end on positive. <laughs> Hopefully that's helpful. I'm, I'm, I'm general. I'm like a very positive person, but I also kind of see the, the way the world works, and I, you know, we have to live within the sort of confines of our own the meat in our heads which is yeah. not definitely not perfect so i think it's yeah all right so where can people find out what you're working on right now you know i'm um i basically where i think about where where i share what i'm thinking is on medium which is medium.com slash at brie mm -hmm. and you can go check out products we we just actually put them up on the store but we haven't launched them at uh .co. all right all right, super. So, Reed Pettis, thank you for joining us on Technotopia. This is the uh, Inauguration Day episode. Godspeed us all, I suppose. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. We will see you next week. <laughs>